Okay. Welcome to Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Happy Book Talk Day. Yay. I think that's my new tagline from now on. Well, Book Talk Day? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you need a Book Talk Day. At the end of a terrible day, you need a Book Talk Day. <laughs> you need a Book Talk Day. And my Book Talk Day includes wine tonight. And that's important for today. So, yes. cheers. Um, yay. Well, let's get into it. Book Talk is a weekly podcast where we read a section of a book and then chat about it on Sunday nights, recapping the section. Yeah. And we're reading the second section of The Push by Ashley Audrain. Um, wow. This book is like addictingly good. I laid down to read it and like did not move from the couch and I got up and I was like, whoa. And Jason and his brother were like, did you just read all 75 of those pages right now? And I was like, yes, I did on my phone very quickly. And I'm extremely stressed about it. <laughs> like I need to process. Um, so let's start with a quick summary. So we're all on the same page for this week's discussion. Um, in this section of the book, we continue to see this family struggle uh, Blythe and Violet, Blythe and Fox, Fox and his mom, etc. Um, Violet bites her mother, and we get a couple more glimpses into how creepy this kid really is. Um, they get called to her preschool, essentially for her being a little bit of a psycho again. Um, we talk about, we go through two stories about the two boys she either wants to hurt or possibly does hurt, Noah and Elijah. And this section ends with a couple more flashbacks to Blythe's childhood, um, and also to her having her second baby as they welcome Sam to the family. And then we end on the worst cliffhanger ever. I'm so sorry. Yeah, which, okay, round of applause for us, though, because that was not on purpose. And that is a cliffhanger for next week. Like, I'm reading after this episode. Absolutely. At least the next, like, chapter to know what's going to happen. We'll round out the episode with that. How are you feeling about Fox and Blythe's relationship or their marriage um, through this section? I think the whole time with their relationship, I just keep wondering, why is nobody asking Blythe how she is? Like, why is no one talking about it? Why is nobody, like, really honestly asking her how she is? Um, and I feel like he's just, he's not on her side. Like, Fox does not seem like her ally or her teammate or her partner, how I would, like, expect you know, her husband to be when she's struggling. I don't, I don't feel like he's doing that. And I think his worst fears about Blythe come out multiple times in this section. Um, when she says they're like having a drink and talking about the kid and she's like, you know, I love her. And he's like, do you like that kind of like accusatory, like assumption is so frustrating. Cause you're supposed to like automatically be on her side. Like she is supposed to be innocent until proven guilty to you. And you have already indicted her. I'm pretty positive at this point that like Violet is a full on sociopath. So I also think she must be like a master manipulator at this point. She got the blonde haired boy to like clearly cut his hair and then not tell anybody about it. And I think she has her dad wrapped around her finger and we don't know what she's telling Fox about Blythe. You know, we know from the one the one conversation that they over that she overhears of Viola saying, like, I hate mom. I wish she would die. So it would just be us. And so she might be telling Fox exactly what he's already thinking, which is she's a terrible mom. She abuses me. She leaves me alone. She doesn't care about me. And that's why I'm so cold to her. OK, I want one thing here. Like the kid is five. <laughs> so I feel like it's saying that's why I'm so cold to her. <laughs> 
Although I will say, I don't know any five-year-olds and you're way closer to kids. So like, is that? Yeah, I, maybe she didn't say it in in so many words. That's all I'm teasing you about is just the really good use of your vocab there. Not that she's not manipulative. I just want to be clear. I agree with everything that you said. I just had to get that little tease in there because you're like, and that's why I'm so cold towards mother. Like, <laughs> One point I want to say about that is that, yes, I think that we are definitely supposed to be reading this thinking Violet is a psychopath. And I think she might be. And there are a lot of things that she does that – in reading this, like, I am creeped out by this kid, right? Like, she scares me. But I think what's important to remember here is, like, we don't we don't know that Blythe is a credible source. Or, like, we don't know that she's a good historian or storyteller of what's happening in her life. We don't know if she's the one having, like, a psychotic breakdown and seeing or hearing or, in like, misinterpreting things or going to worst case scenario, we don't, we're made to see it from Blythe's point of view. So the only option from Blythe's point of view is that Violet is the kid who's, who's a gone crazy and who is psychotic. But I mean, it could be Blythe because the only point of view we're hearing is hers. And I think that's the kind of the point of the unreliable narrators is like, you don't know what the truth is. So you're supposed to decide, but you're only given one perspective. It's a great point about her being unreliable. We're also seeing her confirmation almost of the way that she felt from her mom with Violet. So her mom made her feel that she's not lovable, that there's something wrong with her and that she is like an outsider. And so she's almost confirming her past trauma in this new relationship with her daughter um, so you could see that maybe she's projecting, but I don't know. I feel like Ashley's not beating around the bush of like, maybe this is all in her head. Like I expected it to be way more subtle, but like, I I mean, the toddler dying, her saying these creepy things, Sam is about to die. And like, there's just, I feel like there's just, there's just no way she's like, not actually like this. I don't know. Maybe the story really is just about this creepy kid and that's what we're reading. But maybe the story is about this mom who's like breaking apart and maybe it's about her kind of, I don't know. I think we'll have to see, but I do think that she is fully scared and manifesting that in that she is terrified. Her daughter will be the worst parts of her mom and grandma. And I think sometimes that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy too. Like you're so scared of that happening. That's all you see. This, this is what people do, though, right? Like, everything that Violet does that confirms that idea in her head, she accepts without question. And everything that Violet does that is, like, nice or needing her or whatever, she does not accept without question. She's like, well, it's only because like, she, she like, defends it or defies it. Can you give me you a psych term fancy... for that? Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. <laughs> It's the confirmation bias. You look yes. for facts that will uh, reinforce what you already believe. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. What do you think she is doing in trying to get pregnant again and having a second child? I want to hear what you think about this too, but I think she's trying to kind of repair whatever, like she's trying to solve her issues with Violet by having another baby. Um, and I also think like she didn't really want to have a baby the first time. Like, I feel like she was doing it because she wanted to be a good mom and a good wife and because Fox really, really wanted it. And now that she feels like she's kind of messed that up beyond repair, she's like, okay, well, now I want it because I need to, like, I need to prove it. I need to show them that I can do this, that it is Violet. And I feel like she's trying to prove that she is, she is a good mom. Mm -hmm. What do you think? 
yeah, I think she's realizing the pain of having a child that you're not close to and it's almost making her realize that it could have been different and she's looking for that with a second child like watching these other moms and how they dote on their children hearing from fox's mother how she felt being away from her child she's like in her mind really now wanting that and again it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because then she has sam and she has that exact experience where she wants to be with him all the time she doesn't want to be away from him and she's again like manifesting that into reality there's a quote um in early on in this section where blythe talks about her memories of her mom and how like they don't have photographs or like family heirlooms or anything with which to create different memories and so she says all we have basically are like the memories of these times and we only have one version of the truth and I think again to what you're saying about this being like her potentially being an unreliable narrator all she have all she has to remember her childhood which was not good are these memories and in some ways those are more true because a photograph can be staged it can be nostalgic it can present something that wasn't real at the time um so in some ways it's more real and in other ways it's less real because we know memory is so fallible and we change the memory every time we go over it again and you know we know people make false memories so yeah how trustworthy is she with these particular memories I think it was so interesting to have the experience of seeing her mom come to the tea party which clearly was like such a foundational experience for her and have that paralleled with her going to um, Violet's uh, preschool to have the disciplinary hearing. And it's like both of these times where what she wanted didn't come true. And it's like just devastating to hear them back to back. Like, Ugh, I know, Blythe. I think it's interesting. Like we're obviously trying to figure out if she's, if her story is like the quote unquote truth, but there's also these like, bigger questions of like what is that and is truth your perspective and like can humans remember accurate like I don't know there's so much more to dig into there than her being an unreliable narrator which is so interesting someone um someone this week was talking about we're sharing something really personal from their history and they said something and I will never in my life forget this she said when you don't get the attention that you need from your parents, you look for it for the rest of your life. And first of all, wow. (laughs) Uh, Second of all, I think that's just exactly what Blythe is going through. She clearly was rejected by her mom. Her mom wouldn't tell her that she loved her. She, at these very important moments in her life, let her down and didn't give her like the support and acceptance that she needed. And now she's desperately looking for that and almost, again, like affirming that she's not lovable and doesn't deserve anything from her daughter. And it's just these strained relationships with women like over and over again, these repeated patterns. I think that's the part where I'm skeptical of Blythe is like how convenient it really is uh, the women in this family. But I will say again, I believe her. (laughs) I believe her. It's not that I don't believe her. It's just because I think that that's kind of what I'm saying is like her version of the truth could very well be that. Yeah. Because that's what she's experiencing. So I believe that this is what she is feeling. I don't think that she is lying about it. I just think that 
is her version of the truth tainted by what she thought was going to happen and what happened to her? And I think mm-hmm. it always is, right, in some way. So I think it would just be interesting to have another point of view in this story. I, I think it'll probably all be, like we've said before, I think this is a letter. And I think now, um, like I think this book is a letter, right? And I think it's to Fox. Do we agree? Do you think it's to Fox now? I definitely don't think it's to Violet. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've come to. It's not It's not to Violet. There were a couple times she talks specifically about instances like you were at the breakfast table with her. She looked at you and you said this. And I was like, okay, it's to Fox now. I wish we'd have another point of view. I don't think that it's about like believing her in this case. I think it's just about how she's how she's interpreting it. And I just, I wish she would have gone to therapy when she was like, I don't want to be a mom. And she got pregnant. Like, I think you should like have maybe worked through some of these things before then and it's hard because she didn't and she didn't want to admit them and now she's working through them in real time with like kids with uh so speaking of working through them in real time I feel like a lot of that has to do with you know Fox's mom being there and being like the quote-unquote perfect mom what do you think that she knows about Blythe and Violet and Fox's personal life I think there's more to come with Fox's mom because we get we get instances that she she might be the only person who is seeing a little bit of what Blythe is seeing. So it's interesting because I think the women in Violet's life are seeing this more than the men. Um, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but we'll see. I just feel like there's something here about the mom seeing this like tantrum and seeing Violet bite bite Blythe, spending time with Violet. And also having these like side conversations, like hang in there. It's going to be okay. Like, how are you really but doing? But she doesn't have those with Fox, which is so frustrating. She's just like, oh, Violet was great today. Like, do you not see how heartbreaking that is for her, for you to affirm Fox in that situation and be like, she was amazing. I loved spending time with her. Like, just like, can we be just like a little bit more aware? We don't know what Fox is telling his mom because we also know that Fox is telling his mom things and he's talking about Violet and Blythe and how Blythe is treating Violet. So I feel like she knows a lot more than we think and she also understands motherhood and she understands some of the difficulty. So I feel like she actually might be more sympathetic to Blythe than we think she will be. I think she is kind of going to be sympathetic. I wonder if she's the kind of sympathetic where she's like, I had to go through it and survived it. You figure it out kind of sympathetic or if she's actually going to like help her. Um, I think, but that's such a good point. She's hearing what Fox is telling her. And that's kind of what I'm saying about this Blythe side of the story is that like Fox, you know, when you tell your friends something that happens to you or a fight you have with with your partner or whatever it is, like you don't tell it from their point of view. You don't think of what the other, like you tell it from your point of view because you want people to side with you, you know? So like, I think that's kind of what maybe this letter is too. It's Blythe trying to convince other people the same way Fox is trying to convince his mom, the same way we're all trying to be affirmed by people who matter to us. Absolutely. All right. I have a really out there question for you. I'm ready. Okay. Ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that, do you believe that people can be born just like purely evil? I don't know if I don't know what my opinion on that is, because I think it's so hard to determine that. I mean, because in order to determine if someone was purely just born evil, 
you would have to intimately understand everything that they were that was a part of their nurtured journey growing up intimately enough to be able to say that that is not why and I just I think a lot of times when we see that when we see somebody who's evil we want it is easier to be like they are an evil person than to admit it is their it is their trauma or it is it is their generational trauma or it is whatever that has made them this way and I just think as somebody to decide if someone is purely evil you'd have to be able to eliminate every other explanation and I don't I don't know that you can do that I don't know I think you're right it's like it's a very difficult question to answer empirically to use the psychological term that you were getting at wait Um, can you say that again it's it would be difficult it's an empirical question is what a psychologist would say it's like we need the data we would need to observe a person in a perfect who is in a perfect environment and yet still turns out perfectly evil to to rule out that it's nothing to do with this situation like they were in a perfect situation they were still terrible yes that's exactly what I'm saying and you can't really do that and I think that's what's so hard you can't make a mom and and also that thing that is so subjective like what makes one person feel affirmed and safe is not what makes your second kid feel affirmed and safe and so is that a quote-unquote perfect environment is anything right and how do kids become evil but I think you can probably be I don't know though. What do you think about the kids who like kill bunnies? I'm thinking this Law and Order episode where this girl like kills little animals, then she kills a human, kind of like Violet. Well, that's interesting because there are. So I kind of just am assuming that Violet is a sociopath, but there are like earmarks of what a sociopath is in childhood, and they're like bedwetters and they kill animals. And she hasn't done any of that that we've seen. She just immediately starts like torturing little boys um and coming up with like devious plans and also I guess torturing her mother um but I do think you know in terms of the evil question I think that people can be born without a conscience or without empathy I think you can lack empathy and lack a conscience and not be a killer but I think if you have no sense of remorse you're probably a CEO you might be a CEO (laughs) So we definitely think Violet killed the toddler, killed Elijah. Oh, I don't know. I think after this discussion, I feel like I'm going back and forth. I think on one side, yeah, I can see that Violet killed him. The other thing is like, do you think at that age, I have one more question about that. Sorry. Yeah. So we think Violet killed this little boy, right? If we think that that's what happens, do you think at that age, at five, you truly understood mortality in a way that she knew that that's what she was doing? No, I don't think she knew he was going to die. I think she wanted to see what would happen. (laughs) <laughs> it's similar with the heebie-jeebies. yeah I don't know why I mean but then with what's going to happen with Sam <laughs> I am so oh sad. yeah okay, so what do you think it. is gonna happen I don't what's know I don't know what's I think he's maybe gonna suffocate in his sleep or something because we have the foreshadowing of Blythe like being freaked out that she can just walk into the nursery which like of course she can but you would never like think about you would never have to think about that being like a scary situation um but I think that's a little bit of foreshadowing that something like that is going to happen but in this case at least again memory is fallible maybe it doesn't happen this way but we have her saying like I don't want Sam anymore I'm over him like get him out um right but I think this is what so this is what you know is interesting about this because I can promise you I said that multiple times with my siblings they came in and took the attention from me and I was like no longer the angel goodbye (laughs) it's extremely get them out of here yeah. I mean, there are plenty of stories of me like 
I was like feeding Christy for the first time. My mom was constantly like, whoever can help me, even this two-year-old, perfect. And I fed her for like four seconds and I threw the bottle down and tried to get up and she like fell off of my lap. My mom like caught her. But, you know, I was like, I'm like done. I went to play. And my mom was like, she has to eat. Like, what are you doing? And I was just like, well, I'm not feeding her. I'm over that. And so I'm sure I didn't say it that sassy, but I think you could take Violet being like, I don't want Sam here anymore. Like, I want all mommy's attention. And then what if the baby dies of like SIDS or something that is like relatively normal and not caused by another human? But then in Blythe's mind, she's like, well, it must have been Violet. I don't know. But maybe it always been very obvious where we know it's Violet. It's going to be something just like you said. It's going to be something ambiguous where we don't exactly know what happened. Um, just like Elijah, you know, the conditions were there for him to have an accident. And I think it's going to be the same thing because we know Fox will move on and take Violet into his new family. And she's obviously not facing any like she's not committed or whatever. Um, so he obviously thinks either thinks it was Blythe or thinks that it was an accident. And then Blythe, I mean, yeah, I could see her just going, it being an accident and her going crazy too. Oh my God. But then how, we still have 150 pages. Like I can't imagine what's coming. Yeah, that's crazy. Talk, talk, talk. I finished a promised land. It wow. ends. Yay. <laughs> I know. I deserve an award for that. It was truly an accomplishment. Um, but I think the most shocking part of it is that it ends with the killing of Osama bin Laden, which was, I think, May or September, I can't remember, 2011. I think it was September 2011. So he's started his reelection campaign, but he's not reelected. It ends with, like, literally the killing of Osama bin Laden. That's the last scene. And it is wow. a stressful scene. Wow. What's great about this book is, like, you can think whatever about Obama as a politician. He is an extremely talented storyteller, and I feel like he's really good at weaving together the stories in a way that people can understand it. And so even if you – for a lot of that of the book, I was not politically active, <laughs> like, in 2008, 9, and 10. So those things were not, like, affecting my life, and I feel like I actually understood what was happening in, like, this huge machine of politics, which I thought was interesting. And I think the other interesting thing about it that I learned a lot about was that, again, like I wasn't a super politically active person growing up. I feel like I am now, but only in the last like two years, four years maybe. Um, but I think the inner workings of government are like still a complete mystery to like most people. And I feel like he did a really good objective job of being like, here's how we made things happen and why we gave concessions here, why we did what. Not in defense of what he did, but in like, this is how the game of politics works. You do not get what you want as soon as you're like in this office. And I feel like it was it was an interesting like read of just how the government works too. Highly recommend it. It was good. He's a good storyteller and he's funny. All right. I've been waiting to tell you about this. So there's a like, there's this movie quote unquote movie on Hulu called In and of Itself. It's basically the, it's a theater show that was in New York and it was like did like 500 plus shows it is a magic show but to say it's a magic show just like completely takes away from what it actually is but I don't 
really want to tell you what it actually is. It's sort of like Nanette. You think it's a comedy show, but it's not. It's much more than that. That's sort of like this. You think it's a magic show, but it's so much more. You have to watch is this. It. Okay. But you know me and I'm like, I have to sleep alone tonight. So no, no, it's not like scary. It's not creepy or scary. No, 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 not at all. Um, It is weird. So I will say to anybody who's listening, just go into it. Don't Google it. Don't like try and learn more about it. Just go into it. Don't look at your phone and just go with him for like the first like at first you're going to be like, what is this? And you might be tempted to think like it, this is kind of cheesy, but it's all part of it. So just go into it and when it gets to the when it gets to the letter, you'll you'll start to get it. Also, I will say one <laughs> I highly recommend um any substances which you use to relax, ingest them. Um, whichever method you choose. Okay. And okay. uh then if you do that, just be aware that there are famous people in the audience and you see them and you're not making it up because at some <laughs> point, at some point it like scanned through the audience and I turned to Dan and I was like, was that fucking Bill Gates? And I was like, I sw- low key, I swear I just saw Bill Gates and like it was Bill Gates, but like it just in, you're like, no way. Like did I make that up? Did you so do that's the and then watch it. I didn't, but that I that okay. could have could have been uh, a similar experience. You know, maybe that's your substance of choice. Okay. I'm Wine also it. is perfectly suitable. Um, but I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I loved it so much. I wish I could talk about it more, but I won't on the pod because I don't want to ruin it for everybody. So go watch it. Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. Father, I've psychoanalyzed myself and come away thinking that my mother and I are not connecting on a spiritual level. I have an insecure attachment style with mom. Okay. Um, I think she has unprocessed trauma and an unhealthy uh, way of expressing herself.